Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Sex dolls. The nothing personal word of the day. Yes, I'm saying it. Big discussion today, whether or not that could be the word of the day. How could it not be? It's sex dolls. South Korea has a football club. It's called South Korea's FC Seoul. FC stands for football club. Seoul stands for South Korea, city in South Korea. Well, their football club got fined $82,000, which is like 17 trillion South Korean schmickschmackers. Because, quote, they damaged the prestige and integrity of the league for using sex dolls as mannequins in the empty stands. With advertising of the adult manufacturers. Of course, the people who run the club said sex dolls. Sex dolls. Those aren't sex dolls. Those are mannequins. Oh, wow. That mannequin looks a lot like, (gasps) wait, did we, who ordered these? Where did they come from? Oh, heavens, I am so sorry. Okay, this is major. When you are in Asia and you make a mistake like this, you're going to lose your job. You are going to be shamed forever. So a lot of these leagues with no fans, they're trying to put in like mannequins or they're putting in cardboard cutouts. And in South Korea, FC Seoul decided they were going to put in dolls with ads. By the way, you got to raise revenue. I'm all in. Except there's a clause in the lease for FC Seoul where they play that says you cannot advertise any sort of sexually deviant companies. We had that in Pro Player Stadium with the Marlins. Marlins Park, our deal with the county and the city of Miami-Dade and the city of Miami, respectively. We had we could sell naming rights and keep the revenue, which we were never able to do, but we had to not, it couldn't be a tobacco company. It couldn't be anything sex-related. I wanted to call on all the strip clubs here in South Florida. They got extra cash. They used to, at least. They'd be good sponsors. Remember, Bang Brothers actually wanted to name the American Airlines arena where the Heat play. They're a porn company of some sort. So, What happens is you order these mannequins and they come and you put them up. And how is it possible that no one noticed that these mannequins had holes in all the right places? Well, you didn't see it. You didn't possibly see it until it was noticed by the authorities in the league. I'm just not, I'm not getting, the story doesn't smell right. Now, is it the end of the world? Is it funny? It's not offensive. It's not that they were engaging in sexual activity. This wasn't like some sort of ex machina part two. I hope I said that right, Coco. We just talked about it before the show and I completely forgot. Is it ex machina? Is it ex machina? Is it ex machina? All I know is it's Alicia Vikander. It's ex machina. I got it. It's not as though it's that. There's no AI. It's not like the movie with uh, Bridget Monaghan and, and Will Smith. It's not Hitch. It's called iRobot. 
It's not like that. These are dolls and you're making it. I don't know why. If you have to do baseball or football or any sport in front of no fans, do you think the athletes will look in the stands and see mannequins or robots or sex dolls and say, oh, I'm going to play harder now or, oh, I'm really going to go after that ground ball in the hole. Ooh, I'm definitely going to take this guy one on two because we got some robots in the house. Come on. It's completely ridiculous. Even if they're, even if. (laughs) So now that we're in, I must say, so we're in the pandemic and I'm doing this not from the regular studio at CBS Sports HQ. This is the home studio in the glove chair, me and Wilson from start to finish. And the way it works is I have a soundboard and I've got a, an earpiece, and Coca talks in the earpiece. He writes on the document. We've talked about it. And every once in a while, he'll write something that's just quite funny. And uh, he wanted to know whether or not players with machines, robots, sex dolls, or something, will that make him play harder? And the answer is no. As a matter of fact, it's totally irrelevant. Literally. FC Soul, 82K. Sex dolls. So what do we do if you can't get fans, but you really need fans to make the numbers work? How do you do that with social distancing? There are leagues, teams, commissioners, conferences in college. Everybody's asking the same question. Restaurateurs, spas, casinos, cruise ships, every industry you can think of. They're all doing the same thing right now. They're trying to figure out How do we reposition and reorchestrate our spaces so that we can have the most people in and get back the revenue that we've lost because of the pandemic? We're down 80%. We got to start making that up. How long will it take? Those are the financial models we're doing. And do we have the runway and the cash reserves or the debt capacity in order to finance our business until we can get 100% capacity back? Colleges have a very interesting problem right now. You're seeing students who are beginning to be asked to come back. Labs are opening. Libraries are opening. Fall classes look like they could happen, but in a reimagined collegiate life. Student athletes being told they can come back maybe even June 1st to start practicing, getting ready. Different conferences, different presidents, different athletic directors have different views on this. And we heard from Gene Smith yesterday. Gene Smith of the O. I just put up, if you're watching this, I did the U. That's University of Miami. This is, I'm putting my fingers like like the Vulcan, except taking away the two middle fingers and putting my thumbs down. I think that's U of T, the Texas Longhorns. The U is University of Miami. But I think the Ohio State may just be an O. I'm putting my fingers over my eyes in a circle. Anyway, Ohio State AD Gene Smith He said, we need football and we're ready for it to return. We have 100,000 people who fit in our stadium. Basically, as you know, football in Ohio State funds everything. We've talked about the fact that sports will have a problem in college because if the funding does not come from football, those sports will dry up like a desert. So they redesigned the Ohio State football stadium in their minds and they said that we think we could have 20 to 30,000 fans in the stands not the hundo. So I started thinking about the math of that and how a ballpark would look where you can have 20% capacity, 30% capacity. He's obviously basing that where restaurants can have 25% capacity right now. 
I was thinking about Broadway plays and Broadway theaters, how you actually can distance people in a seating section, how you'd have them come into the stadium, leave the stadium, where they would sit so they'd be distancing six feet apart. Maybe you have them sit in groups of people. They're with families. But in college, you're not with your family. It's alums who come. It's parents of students who come, but they don't sit with the students. Students are in the student section. None of them are families, but I assure you they're living like families. It's hard to social distance in a fraternity. There's not going to be Zoom fraternity parties on campus. Will they wear masks? Well, I've seen some pictures on the Twitter of masks with holes in the mouth so you can lift up the flap and drink because believe you, me, there will be drinking. So how do you get 20 to 30,000 people in and have that finance the program at Ohio State? So the math is this. If everyone is paying a dollar and you have 100 people in the stands, you are making $100. If you only have 20 people in the stands, you have to charge them $5 each to get back to that $100. That means you're increasing the ticket price by five. So you're going to go to fans and you're going to go to season ticket holders. You're going to say, listen, you're one of the chosen few. We want you in the stands. We are offering you tickets to come back to Ohio State football games. You're going to be one of the 20,000 people in our 100,000 seat stadium, but you're going to have to pay 5X your ticket price. So these tickets used to be $50. They're now $250. Are you in? Well, what about 125? Well, if you go to 125, then we need to find a way to get 50,000 people in. All of a sudden, you're seeing the math problem. Because if they're not willing to pay $250 for a ticket, based on my rough math equation of $100, dollar tickets, what sports are we going to cut because our revenue is so depleted? What is the chopping list? That's what athletic directors are doing right now. They are going to the sports that don't bring in the most revenue, and they're going to cut them. Fencing, water polo, underwater synchronized swimming. Ping pong, badminton, they're going to be gone. Ohio State's got a lot of work to do, and we're going to figure out how it's going to happen. But what will be interesting to me is what schools choose to cut which sports. So we have an example right now of ECU. They've just announced that they are going right to men's and women's tennis and men's and women's swimming and saying, done. They're not even going to wait to see how long the rebound is. They are cutting those sports now. I told you this is happening and we're watching it happen live as this show is happening because at the end of the day, we know this from nothing personal. It's a math equation. That's all it is. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So you want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson is a segment that we do when you ask me questions at David P. Samson. By the way, we're getting close to the end of the month. This is the last show. Are we at the last show of the month? No, no, it's the 21st. 
Sorry, today's May 21st. We're not even near the end of the month. We're 10 days. We're two-thirds done with the month. We're going to do an end-of-month mailbag pod. Please go on to Apple, rate, review, give five stars, put a question in, ask it, I'll answer it. We'll release that the first Saturday of June, which I don't even know what day that is. Actually, I know that Saturday. I don't know which date that is. This is So You Want to Talk to Samson, where you get into my Twitter at David P. Samson and ask a question. Someone asked this, and I'm going to read it exactly as you wrote it, because it was such a wonderfully written question that I just want to frame it, and I don't want to even want to change a syllable. Hey, that's how you started your question. By the way, you don't have to start a question with hey. You can just actually start the question. MLB, open parens and other sports, owners, seem to be conveniently cash-strapped prior to CBAs and during crisis times like this pandemic. If owners are truly struggling and need the players to take an additional haircut, is there any way to get the players to believe them outside of opening the books and showing them? What kind of hell freezes over scenario would have to happen for owners to do this? Thank you. That's a great question because any question that starts with hey and has hell freezing over, which is something that I think about all the time, it's a great expression. Think about it. Hell is super hot, right? Florida in August, hot. Like Brighton Beach memoirs, Africa, hot. Hell freezing over means that it's the opposite of global warming. Like something crazy has to happen. What kind of hell freezes over scenario would have to happen for owners to get the players and show them their books? Well, let me tell you a story about opening books and tell you why it's never going to happen. There is no amount of hell that would happen freezing over. There is no scenario. Teams would go bankrupt before opening their books. Here's why. The financial documents of a baseball team, like any business, are incredibly difficult to understand. You can go to a public company and you can go on the inter-Google and you can find public filings of these public companies. Within those statements, you can find balance sheets. You can find income statements. Balance sheets are assets equal profits plus liabilities. You can find income statements, which is like a cash flow statement. Where's the money? Where's it going? But you have to be a forensic accountant to actually understand these statements. You have to be in there operating it to know where the skeletons are, to know, picture the biggest flow chart you ever learned in school that has dotted lines and squiggly lines and boxes here and there. You're trying to figure out who you report to and you've got a dotted line to three people. You've got a straight line to five people. You're diagonally attached to the, to the group over there who you never even talked to. You know what I'm talking about. Anyone who works in a company knows that you can't even figure out your own flow chart of who you report to and who reports to you. Major League Baseball financial documents are that complicated as well. But we have something that no one else has. We're private. There's a dollar. Dollar, Coca. Are you keeping track? You actually don't talk about that off the air. How many dollars I've lost by saying we. They, actually, I can say we, right? We used to. We keep everything private. Not because we're breaking the law, because we're not. Not because we don't have financial statements that are shown to others, which we do, because we're audited 
by an independent, by an auditor of the team. Then we're audited by an auditor of Major League Baseball. And then there's a union audit. So everyone knows everything that's going on. The union knows when the Marlins were losing money, but they would pretend they didn't know and they would file a grievance saying the Marlins have to increase their payroll because they're not using their revenue sharing for the on-field product, but they know that's not true. Major League Baseball knows exactly which teams are making and losing money. They know where all the skeletons are. What they don't know are the other businesses that owners have. So if you're the Boston Red Sox and you own Liverpool and the Red Sox, well, MLB doesn't know what Liverpool has. They don't know whether or not there's a sponsor at Fenway Park who pays Liverpool way over market and pays the Red Sox way under market for a sign but the Red Sox make up for it because they're owned by the same people. So therefore, whether you get a dollar through Liverpool or a dollar through the Red Sox, it doesn't matter. So can there be finagling of revenue when you own multiple assets? Yes. Our owner owned the Marlins, not his own. He didn't own his network. We didn't have any other areas to hide anything. Our revenue was our revenue. Our expenses were our expenses. And that was that. Many of the baseball teams are far more complicated and owners will never allow those books to be open because they would be misinterpreted, misunderstood. The Marlins had their books opened because in 2000 and something, Coke, I don't remember what it was. I blocked it out very conveniently. There was a website called, uh, at the time it was called Deadspin. I think it's out of business now. I think they fired everyone. Maybe they hired a few people back. It's a straight hack shop. They're out to get people. They don't know what they're doing. They're just looking for uh, crisis, not crisis. Coco, what's the word when you're looking for controversy? Hello, today must be Thursday. So Deadspin's looking for controversy. Deadspin got its hands on our financials. Deadspin published our financials, and they thought they had the smoking gun. Look at this. The Marlins are rich. They're making $80 million a year, but they're asking the public for financing help for their ballpark. But they took snapshots. They didn't explain to the audience what EBITDA was, the way I've explained on HQ or here on this show, what it means to have earnings. You heard that at MLB Economics 101 sometime it was in a previous show, maybe a month ago, when we talked about MLB economics and what it meant for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation. Coca's just whispered it was this week, you idiot. I don't think it was. It couldn't have been this week, but we did a whole MLB economics thing. And uh, he's asking me if this was 2011, and the answer is I think it was. And so we got raked across the coals, but I stood there and took it like a man. I had to go on Real Sports about it with Brian Gumbel, and I didn't care because these people didn't get the facts. They didn't know what they were talking about. So the danger is by you opening the books ever to players or in a way that becomes public is that you lose control of the narrative. And remember, it's all about control. That's the bottom line. In these negotiations right now going on between MLB owners and MLB players in the union, it's about controlling the narrative, not through the media, not by having Blake Snell or Tom Glavin or Bryce Harper or Scott Boris or any of, or, or Scott Boris obviously is the biggest example of a blowhard is doing nothing but trying to further his own business by saying the things he's saying. But those, those different agendas have to be absolutely kept within. And if you open books, it just leads to distraction, confusion. So my answer to you, my good friend, is owners don't get conveniently cash-strapped during a pandemic. They actually are cash-strapped. It's not convenient. Trust me, there's nothing convenient about losing your revenue and having your business go from 100 to zero. Just ask anyone who owns a business that shut down during the pandemic and isn't called Zoom. 
You think the restaurateurs are all of a sudden hiding the fact that they're cash trapped or why they're furloughing or the people who run casinos? You think Furtada is actually making up the fact that he's cash trapped? No, it doesn't matter, billionaire, not billionaire. The reality is the casinos are closed and you've got a problem. No revenue. And it has nothing to do with when the CBA is negotiated or not negotiated. The numbers are the numbers. We know that from nothing personal. There is no hell freezing over scenario. ML Beer Challenge Day 67 is today. And I did something that, uh, you know, I love Canada. I'm just going to come right out and say it. I love Canada. I may not be the most popular guy in Montreal. May need bodyguards when I go there. But I think Montreal is one of my favorite cities. It's beautiful. It's got culture. I love speaking French. I've had a chance to go to Vancouver and to see Ottawa. Canada's great. So I gave this information about the ML Beer Challenge to people, and it's been very strange. I opened up my DMs, which are open, so I don't know why I said I opened them up. They're always open at David P. Sampson. I said, listen, tell me some charities. Because you know I'm giving away $1,000 a day for 100 days. Today's day 67. We're only at 67, Coca. We're growing our beards. People are loving. By the way, we have to send out a picture, Coca, of your current beard and my current beard because I am so outbearding you. I'm getting major compliments from not exactly my target demographic, but we can talk about that another time. But the fact is I'm getting major beard love, even though to me the beard is getting very full and very um, grisly. But your beard is growing north-south. Mine is growing a bit more east-west. I think it's another time. We did a picture day 39. That's, almost, that's 28 days ago. That's like Sandra Bullock ago. So we got to do another picture. So we're doing $1,000 a day. And we said, tell us your charities. Give us suggestions of charities that are in your community that make a difference, that are helping people through COVID. And someone sent to me a, a fan. Coco, we have a lot of fans north of the border. Still North America, but north of the border in Canada, all across from Vancouver to Nova Scotia, west to east. Someone sent me something from Edmonton saying, listen, you did MLB, which we did, all 30 MLB teams. You did the NBA. Yeah, we went through all the NBA cities. What about hockey? I said, all right, well, yeah, I don't know that I want to do all of hockey, but I'm definitely willing to think about cities in Canada. So he sent me Edmonton. And you know what? You had me at hello. He wants me to give $1,000 today to the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation, and we're going to do it. He said the Edmonton Oilers, great hockey team. They're getting all riled up to come back because they're going to be playoffs in Edmonton. Or is it Vegas? Or is it Disney World? Or is it Texas? Either way, Edmonton's getting ready. They have a community foundation that is doing great work. So $1,000 is going toward it. Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation, thank you for the suggestion. Follow me on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Get into the DMs and give me your charity suggestions, and we may just choose them. Thank you. ML Beer Challenge, day 67. Touching my beard. Can you hear the beard on the microphone yet, by the way? It's so long. That actually feels super good. I'm playing with my face. Beards are not a good thing to have when you're not supposed to be touching your face. I don't touch my eyes. I don't touch my mouth too much, but I, I haven't even done any trimming to the beard. So what's happening now is I, I literally have lost my lips. I've become, I don't know, what animal is that when there's no lips? Pretty soon I'm going to have to talk like this, Coca. Okay, I watched a documentary that we're going to talk about. Watched it yesterday. I'm still watching movies, TV shows. We review one every day. 
I watched something that I didn't know whether I'd like. It came highly suggested. It's called Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles. Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles is a documentary from 2019. You can find that on Amazon Prime right now. It's about the making of Fiddler on the Roof, the Broadway play that starred Zero Mostel that came out in the 1960s. It was then made into a movie. Who played the lead character, which I'm totally blanking on? How can that be? Sevi, Sevia, Sevia. It was Zero Mostel on Broadway. In the movie, it was Tupple. Now, most people say Topol. Most people may know Topol from the movie A uh, View to a Kill, the James Bond movie where he helped out Roger Moore, who was James Bond. Or No, it was For Your Eyes Only, not A View to a Kill. For Your Eyes Only. Topol was in it. You may know the name Topol when in Notting Hill, Hugh Grant was talking in his bookstore to his assistant. His assistant said he had a celebrity sighting and he thought it was Topol but it likely wasn't. So Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles talks about how you get a play musical called Fiddler on the Roof and how it became the single most popular play musical of all time. I learned so much about Fiddler on the Roof and obviously I'd seen it and I've seen the play. I don't know, I've seen the play somewhere. Do you know that Fiddler on the Roof, the play, until the pandemic started, every day for the last 50 years, Somewhere in the world, there's been a production of Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof is about an Orthodox Jewish community in the Ukraine. And it's about arranged marriage. It's about a father with his daughters. It's about poverty. It's about hope. It's about despair. It's about tradition, tradition, tradition. You know the songs. If I were a rich man, beetle, 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 bum, all day long I'd beetle, beetle, bum. You know these songs. They don't just apply to Orthodox Jews. When you see in this documentary that they do Fiddler on the Roof in Bangkok or in Japan or in Europe or in Austria, or in elementary school, or in high school, or in college, or on Broadway. And every single person interviewed says Fiddler on the Roof is about me and my people. It got me thinking, and this is my little spiel about Fiddler on the Roof. When you're closed-minded because you judge a book by its cover, you actually are stopping yourself from learning and stopping yourself from feeling better about being part of a group. We all crave to be part of a group, part of something. That's why we want to make a team, why we want to root for a team. It's why we want to watch sports in a group and not here on TV alone in a pandemic quarantined. It's why you want it to be not the last pick in a playground pick during recess. It's why you want to make an athletic team or you want to be cast in a play when you try out. It's why you want to sit at the cool table or the not cool table. You just want to sit at any table in elementary school, in high school, in your lunchroom at work. We all want to be part of something. And if you immediately dismiss being part of a group because you don't understand them, think about how limiting that is. And I'm not talking about being part of a group that spews vile, racist hatred. 
I don't want to be part of that group. I'm going to learn about all the groups and I'm going to have complete contempt and disdain for certain groups and purposefully not want to be a part of it and spend every waking minute of my life trying to get everybody else not to be a part of it too. But I'm not going to judge any group until I understand it. What's the purpose of the group? What do you guys do on a Friday night, Sunday night, Tuesday afternoon? Why do you believe in what you believe in? And then I'll make my own judgment. Many people think Fiddler on the Roof is just Orthodox Jews. What do I have to do with that? I can't even, I don't even know any Jews. I don't even know any Orthodox Jews. I see them, I see on Netflix, it's called Unorthodox. Is that what it is? Fiddler on the Roof is not about Orthodox Jews at all. That is merely the pulpit. That is the pod through which the brilliant writers of the play Writers of the book, the lyrics, the music. That is what they use as their vessel to get this story out. And it is a story about people who are just trying to get through it. If you've never seen Fiddler on the Roof, I really think you should see it with your kids, with yourselves, with your significant other. Once you've watched Fiddler on the Roof, please watch this documentary. It's called Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles. And the miracle is, as Jim Carrey would say in Bruce Almighty, is that when you watch Fiddler on the Roof, we can all be the miracle. Well, I was talking about judging a book by its cover, and uh, that is something that too many people do. There's too much... Racism, there's too much misunderstanding of why people do what they do based on what they look like, what they sound like. I'd rather judge people on what they act like, what they're made out of. We talked last week, again, Coca, I may be screwing this up. It could be this week. It never boggles my mind, my lack of understanding of time. We talked about the NFL and their diversity rules and what they have in the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule is named after the former owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Rooney family, by the way, Art Rooney still is the head of the diversity committee. He's either the son or grandson of the original Rooney of the Rooney rule. By the way, Rooney Mara is having Joaquin Phoenix's baby. Do you know why Rooney Mara is called Rooney Mara? Because she's part of the Rooney family, as in the Steelers, and the Mara family, as in the New York Giants. Rooney Mara, Rooney Mara. wonder what it's like to have Joaquin Phoenix's son or daughter. That kid's got a perfect chance. So NFL diversity rule, we talked about on Monday that they're going to do something that I said they're never going to do. It's impossible, absolutely impossible. They are going to award higher draft slots to any team which hires a diverse general manager or coach. General manager, you get to move up 10 spots. Coach, you get to move up five spots. You get to move up spots in the draft. We went through what it meant, and we told you that you need 24 to 32 votes to make this happen. It's a non-starter. We told you that it's embarrassing. It's tokenism at its greatest. You're supposed to hire people because they're good. You can't hire someone and make them think that, wow, you were hired because we got a higher draft pick. Well, word came out. Guess what? N-G-T-H, not going to happen. 
they didn't even bring it to a vote. Let me explain what that means. Baseball does this. NFL does this too. When you read about something that is not brought to a vote, that you had read rumor that had been leaked, what football did is they leaked the possibility of this new rule. They floated the trial balloon. They were canvassing the 32 owners. The 32 owners were paying attention to their constituents. And Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, saw that he did not have the 24 votes needed to pass this agenda item. So instead of putting it to a vote and having it fail and then having people say, huh, who would vote against diversity? Which owner? Which 70-year-old white owner voted against this? No, you can't do it because Roger Goodell knows better. And so does the commissioner of baseball and every other sport. The only time we put something to a vote is when we know what the vote's going to be. So the NFL did not even put this to a vote because it was going to lose. But they weren't able, intelligently so, they weren't able to leave an owner's meeting, however virtual it was, with no update on how they're going to handle the Rooney rule and making it stronger and more important and longer lasting. So they had to announce something. So the NFL announced that here's what we're going to do. We used to make it that every team had to interview one external candidate, diverse external candidate for head coach. But you know what? We're going to make it two. I'm, I'm putting my hands together in the celebratory way over my left and right shoulder, clasping my arms together in the victory salute. We are doing something great for diverse candidates. We are going to get two hired for every opening. Not one. That's 100% improvement. And now you must interview a minority candidate for front office positions, coordinator positions, and GM. And that means like CFO, chief financial officer, chief marketing officer, chief operating officer, chief executive officer, head of human resources, chief. People call that now people chief or chief of people. It's a human resources person. So that's the strengthening of the Rooney rule where they make it so we now have to interview we. There's, I don't know, that's a dollar because that's not even a dollar. It shouldn't be a dollar because I was never a they in the NFL. I was a they. I was a we in the MLB. So I can't be a we in the NFL. I never was. So it's we, they, interchangeable. I feel like I'm having pronoun issues. You know, right now there used to be his and her. Now people can choose to be uh, looked at as they. I'm fine. It's his, it's her, it's they, it's them, it's he, it's her, it's him, it's she. I don't want to offend anyone. There's a grammar issue that now you have to use they where it really should be singular, but they can be singular because it's referring to a them. It's all fine. I'm not in one way saying that I'm against someone, saying I'm not a him, I'm not a her, I'm a they. Don't look at me as a him or a her. Look at me as a they. I'm good. I'm just saying it screws up my grammar. So one candidate will be interviewed. Football has four minority head coaches, two minority GMs out of 32. Let's say the math is as follows. Let's say African-Americans make up 25% of the population. Let's say Hispanics make up 25% of the population. Let's say Caucasians make up 25% of the population. And let's make up that Asians make up 25% of the population. We'll just choose four. Asians, Caucasians, Hispanics, and Blacks. So are we trying to do the math to make it exactly representative? 
So that means in 32 teams, you'd have eight white head coaches, eight black head coaches, eight Hispanic head coaches, and eight Asian head coaches. If we're going to do straight line math, that's what it would be. I always had a problem with that. I never had a problem running a team dealing with the CELIG rule. I never had a problem dealing with any rules related to diversity because we were always interviewing diverse candidates, except I looked at diversity in terms of diversity of knowledge, diversity of experience, diversity of what you can bring to the table to help me win more games and make more money and increase the asset value of our team. I didn't look at color or nationality. I didn't try to get a higher draft pick. I wouldn't hire someone to try to get a higher draft pick. I wouldn't hire someone simply because I wanted to be part of a statistic or get a better grade in the diversity grades that are happened. In Miami, we were a slam dunk to get a good grade because, you know, we're right now in Miami, as you know, Hispanics are the majority and Caucasians are the minority. But I had a business to run. I don't want to be told who to hire and in what percentage. But I have the mentality that many of the older white owners don't have. The mentality is hire the best. It doesn't matter if it's a he, her, they. It doesn't matter age, pedigree, education, color, none of it, sexual orientation. None of it matters because I have tunnel vision of success. I don't care what you do off the field. I would say this to players all the time. I literally don't care what you do. Don't get arrested and don't get hurt. Those are my rules. It's sort of two simple rules to live by. I need your body to perform 162 times a year. And don't screw around during the off season because spring training starts soon. Don't get hurt. Don't get arrested. What does color matter? Isn't it sad that you have to have these crazy rules that are so strict as we try to legislate away racism? And then it doesn't even get to a vote in the NFL because there aren't enough votes to pass it because it's a rule that even diverse candidates say isn't helpful. That means you got to go back to the drawing board. That's what the NFL will do. I'm positive about that. The diversity rules change for the better. Is it better to have more than four minority head coaches? Maybe, maybe not. This is not me being controversial. This is me being honest. And that's what we'll give you here on Nothing Personal. I am all for spending money to get minority candidates the education needed to become first-rate candidates. They should be moving up the chain from coach to from assistant to coordinator up to head coach, from AGM to GM, starting in the mailroom if they have to, working their way up, just like everybody should. Learn the business. Learn your trade. Let's put a pot of money together and give people opportunity. But opportunity starts down below in elementary school, in middle school, in high school. You've got to start educating kids early. You can't just throw away public schools who have an F grade and say, ah, none of those people are ever going to make it. None of those kids have a chance. They're going to end up incarcerated. You just can't do that. The real thing that companies can do if they want to solve their diversity issues or their perception of diversity issues or their desire to do what's right in a society, take a ton of money, take 10 million a club, I suggested already, take 10 million off the price of every team that's sold. 
50 million, put it into a pot and be Bill Gates. Find people who will devote their lives to doing with your money what you won't do and can't do because you don't have the time because you're the one making the money. Take the money you've made, give it to people who don't have that amount of money, who are going to put it into a program that will start growing educated candidates. We do that in baseball. It's called Play Ball Initiative. We do it with little leagues. We're trying to get little baseball players who grow up to be big baseball players who could grow up to be major league baseball players or they're going to grow up with an affinity to the sport and buy tickets and eventually be our customers. That's normal. That's good. That's smart. But it shouldn't just be with on the field. We should be doing it off the field through education. Come on, NFL. Start now. Well, there's examples of candidates who have opportunities. Sometimes you can work somewhere for decades, and then all of a sudden, you're fired. I had to talk about this. I told you yesterday I'd talk about it, and it's one of my favorite stories. Remember I reviewed on Nothing Personal a documentary called Cheer, and I learned so much about cheerleading and the incredible cult-like atmosphere. Remember Jerry, that guy who cheered all the time and would yell, you got this, you go. So I learned a little bit about cheering. And when I say I learned a little bit about it, it means I watched the whole documentary. And what it means is that when I see an article about cheerleading, I now glance at it instead of completely flipping past it. Have you ever learned a new word and all of a sudden you see that word in the next article you read or the next blog or the next tweet or the next book and you think, oh my God, I just learned this word and there it is right now. Well, the word was always there, but your eyes would just gloss over because you didn't know it and your brain wasn't going to take the time to learn it. There are some people who read and they stop and highlight a word they don't know, look it up, and they try to learn that word. The majority of people, me included, you read completely over a word you don't know, you get the gist of the sentence, the gist of the paragraph, the gist of the page, the gist of the chapter, and then you have the book. It's sort of like your own brain doing cliff notes. So now that I know about cheerleading, I don't gloss over cheerleading, and I read yesterday or two days ago that the University of Kentucky has fired its entire cheering coaching staff. The University of Kentucky is the UCLA of the John Wooden decade with Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. These are the best of the best. They make the Bulls dynasty look like bupkis. They won 24 titles in 35 years, 24 cheerleading titles, and the coach, Jomo Thompson, won 18 of them. I'm talking about 18 NCAA cheerleading championships, Division Uno. This is not small stuff. So why did he get fired along with his entire staff? Well, it turns out that he was fired for promoting a culture of public nudity, hazing, and alcohol use. Now, that sounds like a fun Friday night in my mind. Even pre-quarantine, that sounds like a fun Friday night. Public nudity, hazing, and alcohol use. Apparently, the University of Kentucky would have cheerleading camps. The male cheerleaders would do things that were not exactly proper, but there was no sexual assault. There was no sexual misconduct. There were just people without clothes. And there was some sort of hazing rituals when they went to the cheerleading training camps, like spring training for cheerleaders. And 
Jomo Thompson and his staff, while they may not have known about it, should have known about it. They wrote a big letter to the University of Kentucky athletic director after much research and months of investigation. They found that Jomo Thompson, their coach of 18 titles, should have known about everything that was going on. And then instead of just getting rid of Jomo, got rid of the entire staff. So this is the equivalent. Just picture Bob Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, finding out that there's some funny shenanigans going on with the Patriots. And all of a sudden, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniel, is it McDaniel or McDaniels? Josh, the uh, offensive coordinator. And the entire group, I think it's, there's, there's an ass Josh McDaniels. Thank you, Coca. They just get, they're done. And you don't really know what they did, except they should have known. It reminds me of the Penn State situation. Did Joe Paterno know about the pedophile he had working for him, that Sandusky guy? And if he didn't know, should he have known? Did he try to cover it up? I am in no way equating pedophilia and child abuse with what went on in the University of Kentucky. But there's a big thing on college campuses. No hazing because hazing can lead to death. You know, when you're a part of fraternity, they say you can't eat for three days and you have to do nothing but drink vodka, a shot every five minutes. Like Matthew McConaughey ordering a martini at lunch with Leonardo DiCaprio and the Wolf of Wall Street. Bring us two martinis every seven and a half minutes and then until one of us passes out or dies and then every five minutes, something like that. So the hazing can be dangerous. I get that. But the culture that he created, the question is, did the kids in the group, the college students, the cheerleaders, those who had come to Kentucky, I promise you they were recruited. You're talking about the greatest program in the history of cheerleading, which is a major sport. Did they willingly, not willingly, did they understand the activities they were taking place? Did they feel like they were doing it behind the coach's back? Did they feel like the coaches were making them do it? Did they feel like that they were so uncomfortable in this culture that they were, they wanted to be somewhere else? The thing with sexual harassment is the women who are sexually harassed or the men who are sexually harassed, they feel as though they're powerless. They can't do anything. They can't get out from under the power above that is making them act a certain way. Was that happening with the University of Kentucky? Because that's what they're claiming. Is it possible? Yes. Sexual harassment doesn't have to be with Harvey in a bathrobe in a hotel suite. It doesn't have to be in an office setting in a meeting where you touch the thigh of a he, a she, or a they. It can be when you want to be part of a team, just like we said in the beginning. You want to be part of something. You trained your whole life to be part of something. You become part of it, and then you learn about its underbelly. Wait to see is going to be about University of Kentucky. Jomo Thompson will get hired back. He did not leave after 18 championships in a way that will cause him to be permanently fired. We'll talk more about this, but wait to see. Jomo Thompson will get his job back, but rules will change. They will sit him down. They will go through his behavior. They will explain what has to happen now. And they will look right in his eyes and say, Jomo, this is business. It's nothing personal.